0: Is anybody there?
1: Hi. Hi.
0: Oh, hey, there you are. How are you? I'm pretty awesome. I'm wonderful. And I hope you're doing well over there. Where are you at these days?
1: Uh, I'm in L.A.
0: Where are you? I am in Wyoming, in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Up in the mountains. It's
1: supposed to be beautiful, though.
0: Oh, yes. Yes. Very windy, but also very beautiful. I wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world. I'm honored that we're doing a, an interview. And even if it's a practice, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to talk to you and learn about you and your work. So if it's okay with you, do you mind if we begin at the beginning? How did um, you begin getting involved with writing? And was that part of your childhood?
1: Um, yes, it was actually, I mean, I, uh, you know, fooled around and uh, started writing a kid's novel, a very bad one, obviously, when I was <laughs> 10 or something like that. And I remember in the, uh, in the third grade, um, the teacher asked, what do you want to be? You know, she was asking everyone, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I very pompously said author. So I think I had a sort of an idea that, uh, that's what I wanted to do. And um, then there was this really fat, um, complete works of Keats and Shelley that we had at home. And mm. my mother read me Ode to a, uh, not Ode to, to a Skylark by Shelley. Mm. And I sort of fell in love with poetry at that point and started trying to write poetry
0: so poetry was a part of your life ever since the beginning then your parents introduced you to this world? since i
1: was probably 13 or so very bad poetry again of course but... oh but that's the <laughs>
0: yeah. fun part i kind of romanticized that aspect of my life and in childhood because i think it was such a beautiful moment of exploration where i felt i wanted to be an inventor and i wanted to share stories and i was always drawing and coming up with things. And I'm always curious, and I've started asking this question recently because it just kind of, you know, uh, tickles my imagination in a way, but what were your stories about? Like you said, you wrote this novel or you wanted to write this novel. What was that about?
1: Oh, uh, well, at that time uh, in India, we used to read a lot of Enid Blyton. So um, it was uh, sort of uh, influenced by the famous five or the five find outers or one of those, you know, five kids solving a mystery.
0: Oh, I see.
1: So that's basically what it was about uh, <laughs> when I was eight or 10 about, about these kids having adventures and solving a mystery and so on. Um, yeah. And then I switched to poetry in my teens and I don't think I tried fiction after that for a long time.
0: So you encountered poetry for the first time and you said, I don't need, fiction for anything else poetry can serve what i want to say is that kind of what it felt like
1: i don't know if it was conscious but i think i mean i was a fairly brooding um teen from a <laughs> bit of a dysfunctional background so um well a fairly dysfunctional background actually so uh i'm also neurodivergent and that uh, was not diagnosed back then hmm. so i think i had all this um Angst and nowhere to put it. And poetry sort of became the receptacle for a lot of that uh, questioning and searching. Yeah. And I think in my teens, I went into that mode so much of trying to cope probably with life and reality and uh, emotional stuff mm-hmm. that possibly the storytelling and fictionalizing aspect took a backseat and the sort of. I think what poetry allows in terms of the spaces and the ambiguities, that, that appeal to me.
0: Mm. Yeah, I enjoy that. It's that beautiful act of being able to present something that can be seen in myriad ways, and you can give people so much of what they're looking to seek as well that is kind of enticing. But growing up then, was your family supportive of your creative pursuits?
1: Um. They were supportive to the extent that uh, they did not mind me doing it, but it was not a, it's not even specific to them really. I think back then in India, the focus was always on what would make a career. And Mm -hmm. there was really no um, scope in creative writing because we didn't have MFAs and that sort of thing.
0: So what led you to, did you study something else or when you went to school or were you pushed to learn something else then that wasn't necessarily in the creative pursuit?
1: Well, I mean, school was the regular, you know, uh, the regular grind. And then in college, which is undergrad, I studied literature. So Mm. to that extent, that was okay because at least it was, it was related, right? I mean, I was... was, uh, reading other people's work. So that was fine. And yeah, I mean, I think my interest in poetry did solidify um, in that period of study because uh, of the exposure to um, writers and poets and uh, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. That, that was the extent of training it, it <laughs> since you Yeah
0: How long have you been uh, in the U.S.? You said you, you came over, uh, was it recent or was it a while back, if I may ask?
1: I came here about seven years back. I Hmm. uh, got a screenwriting course at UCLA.
0: So, oh, cool, cool. So, you're,
1: yeah, it was, it was pretty cool.
0: So, you've branched out to do screenwriting and develop that part of your craft as well?
1: I did. I mean, I think after my second book, I uh, was feeling the need to explore a different form. Hmm. And I've always loved the movies. And so, I thought of screenwriting. But then, you know, having done the course, of course, the reality of screenwriting is there is, you know, a lot of connections, and <laughs> yeah. a lot of that. And uh, that is not really my core skill at all. So the whole marketing thing. So I, I think a lot of the stuff I learned, though, did help me to start uh, writing fiction or mm. trying to write fiction.
0: So you made your way back to fiction uh, eventually. Or did it leave you? Did you feel like, oh, I'm done with this? Or or was it always by your side in some shape or form?
1: I think, uh, so I started writing fiction again uh, in my 20s. I think it was always by my side, like you said. Mm. Um, but I think I did struggle to find um, my, for lack of a better word, maybe voice or I would actually say maybe genre, because in India, there's a huge focus on what is considered serious literature, and, you know, what we call literary fiction. And so I had never really explored genre fiction very much. But after doing the screenwriting course, I kind of realized that my interests in terms of fiction may actually lie in that direction. Mm. So I'm trying to write, currently, I'm trying to write some uh, sci-fi
0: fantasy. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> and I'm curious how culturally, if you feel that there are some things that you really enjoy about your cultural sto- storytelling or the storytelling in your culture, or if you feel like it's something that you've sort of been there, done that, and you want to open up the the canvas a little bit more with a different kind of storytelling. Do you ever feel that way?
1: Mm. Uh, so I've Loved my own culture stories. I mean, I, uh, my second book of poems was heavily influenced by our mythology and our epics and so on. But yeah, after that, I think I've, uh, in terms of the fiction I'm writing now, I would say it's uh, influenced by possibly you know a bunch of different things and, um, that I've picked up over the years and isn't only influenced by my own culture. Uh, For example, last year, I really got into reading, into watching and then reading some Danmei, which is, um, you know, it's a form of Chinese uh, fantasy writing, which is uh, part of the So Chinese fantasy has Wuxia and Shanshia. And then it has this detour called Danmei, which is specifically written, aimed at women and focuses on beauty. Apparently, I mean, that's the i'm I'm really like giving a very
0: uh the cliffs now sort of
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know I can't really obviously explain the complexity of it right now, but I got into reading that, and um so I think staying open to um world literatures and the different ways in which different cultures have approached writing or storytelling is very. Uh, enlightening and kind of helps one open up the page in a sense
0: yeah now when you were writing your first poetry collections could you tell me a little bit about how those came to be in terms of your process Were you are you the kind of writer who has to create in spurts or do you have a schedule writing schedule or how does that come together for you so
1: i tend to Hyper focus quite a bit when I'm doing something, which means that I will go a few days or even weeks working on a particular thing. So I might do like a lot of drafts, you know, in a couple of months and then I let it rest and revise in a more uh, systematic way. Hmm. So the revisions are done in a methodical, I will sit down and revise now every day kind of way. Hmm. once I have a certain number of drafts but I don't tend to push the drafting process so those you know that happens a little bit organically and then at some point when I have enough drafts I start revising it as a book Hmm. so I always so far have worked at the book level so I don't really write poems at the I'm just going to write a poem now and then the aim is to submit to journals. I, for me, the aim is always that I'm envisioning it as a book at some point. It may be to do with again, culture or where we come from because um, when I started off in India, I don't think the lit, the lit journal culture was something I was as exposed to living there the way it is today in the States, You know mm-hmm. where people really uh, submit a lot to journals.
0: So you saw the payoff or not I don't want to say payoff, but maybe the end product or end result of something like something in the in the poetic exercise ultimately would be all about the collection. It's not about uh, one poem it's about it's about the the assembly right of of the work correct yeah. yeah,
1: and i I think it also had to do with my uh so far has had to do with my mental processes where. It's you know, I possibly want to tell or a longer story or talk about something at um greater length and so book length canvas Mm -hmm. is easier than the individual poem. So for example, I'm also very attracted to long poems or you Mm know um people writers who blend the two genres like Anne Carson, where she writes poetry, but across an entire book. And sometimes it's just one poem across the entire book.
0: And that's interesting that given your screenwriting training now, does that impulse become stronger within you to want to create something that is longer and more cohesive within that poetry form? Do you have to fight it?
1: Um, I think, yeah. I mean, I think there's always a tension there between um, how cohesive you want it to be versus how open you want it to be you know that that whole question of um, am I pushing this too hard to say something precisely when actually I should be letting I should be playing more and letting uh, letting you know the breezes play between the words so to speak or whatever and so I think that is a tension that possibly many of us have to negotiate, right? Mm-hmm. And find uh, comfort levels. And that can also vary from poem to poem or depending on what we're trying to explore and so on.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I was just thinking about that. I, I tend to have a fascination for form. I, I trained as a playwright, so I, I did a lot of theater and primarily writing and directing. So that's, that's my, my big obsession, right, is making sure that the the bones of a piece sort of feel like Mm. they're at home, like they belong where they're supposed to be. And I think I get carried away with that. But you're spot on that maybe the content definitely plays a part in that process of sculpting something uh, for the end product. Now, how would you describe the types of stories that you want to tell now?
1: I think, you know, there's, um, there's there's this popular saying that goes around about how all writers are only talking about two or three things through their (laughs) life and uh, uh, over and over again. And uh, so to that extent, I think I have always been obsessed with certain things like uh, mental health for one and um, place is probably another obsession. Mm. My grandparents were refugees and I've of course moved countries So I think that whole uh, notion of place and including uh, I mean, and I don't just mean um, social, social and uh, political interactions in place, but also environmental and geographical, you know, just how landscape and environment and topography and climate affect us in different ways. Um, I think I am. I have always been preoccupied by that. So that remains something that I am preoccupied by. Other than that, I think right now I'm taking a bit of a pause. I feel like I'm at a stage where there probably will be some new themes that will emerge. I I, I tend to think of it as like um, people go through molting phases, just like snakes (laughs) do, you know, where they need to like get their old skin and, maybe also inhabit like some new parts of skin even if they don't like we don't share our entire skin but uh, at least part of it and um so i feel like i'm in that sort of phase right now so i'm just trying to finish up things that i've already been working on the themes in that have been place. um the sci-fi fantasy um deals with refugees so those are some of the is that the sort of answer you're looking for?
0: that is perfect, and I apologize that i I didn't interject. I just love listening to where it goes, and it got me thinking about a lot of things, in particular, place and distance. I feel like that is one of those things that I wish I could shed. I wish I could just move on from because I think a lot of my work uh, feels that way. It feels like I'm trying to make sense of why did my parents move to this place. I mean, in you know, in my situation it's a it's a very privileged situation where they had a choice to to go to a different place. But I can imagine the the sort of tension that you might have in your soul given that there has been a displacement in your in your family. And I do believe that in a way that you carry that somehow. Uh, do you do you believe in, in that, that there is some kind of grief inherited from generation to generation?
1: Uh, Yes, I do believe in intergenerational trauma because, um, so I'll get a little personal here, because my grandparents moved during the partition uh, of India. Mm. Um, You know, they moved from what is now Bangladesh to India. And I think it affected them psychologically in many ways. So my grandmother was actually unable to really be there for my dad at all Mm. as he was growing up and to the extent that she kind of let her mother bring him up oh wow you know and he had a boatload of psychological I think uh, trauma as a result which of course affected the next generation Mm -hmm. so I do think that these things filter down and you know it took me a long time to arrive at this as a route because of course when I was younger I would just get Angry with him and look at it as this is the individual, and why can't he just sort of be different in X, Y, Z ways? Mm-hmm. But uh, at some point, when you start looking at, as you grow older, and you look at your parents in the context of their history and their childhood, and and then when you sort of see something like this, which is a huge scar in the history of the family, mm. uh, or a wound rather you have to start questioning how much of that wound spilled out into uh, that person's life, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when their parents gave up everything and fled, he as a boy must have uh, grown up seeing effects of that and so on and so forth. And so I think, yeah, I I do believe that uh, people who live through certain things, um, migration or certainly forced migration, Mm-hmm. The, the intergenerational trauma does carry a certain weight.
0: Yeah. So when you're writing, and I imagine that this has been a part of some of your projects, do you feel that you've addressed this or, or spoken about this in your writing in an abstract way, or does it come addressing the people in your life directly? Um, do you feel that there's a spectrum there of, I'm going to talk about this in a bigger picture thematically? or Mm. I have to talk about it as if I'm talking to a family member?
1: I think I've done both now with the third book that's uh, going to be out uh, in a couple of months. Mm. Um, In the third book I have, Mm. I think, um, dealt with the sort of historical linkage a little more, not in a lot of poems, but in in maybe a few poems. And in the past, I think when I was younger, my first book was, you know, uh, in my 20s. And I think at that point, it was much more directly about the particular individuals and my relationship with them and how I was experiencing their uh, psychological and mental health just, you know, at the individual level. You know, hopefully perhaps that has been I won't say growth, because I think there is space and value and, and equal value to both things and addressing it in both ways. But hmm. I think possibly that has been a factor of my growing older or just looking at my parents' history more and understanding the sort of global aspects around it.
0: Sure, sure. They, I noticed in your bio that you had done journalism. Uh, journalistic articles in The Guardian in the UK and many Indian publications. Can you tell me how Mm -hmm. that part of your writing started or how you got into that?
1: Uh, So that was always meant to be, or that was always the career I was sort of, you know, as I said, uh, creative writing was not considered a career (laughs) prospect. So Mm. uh, I think I settled on journalism as my career prospect pretty early so i started uh, working at newspapers right out of college oh. and i interned at a newspaper when i was 18 and then i started working at 21. i did detours into uh, pr and so on but i kind of wanted to go back to journalism and yeah i was very uh, fortunate because i got a fellowship from the john hopkins university here just to, to write about maternal health and other social issues mm. for a year, uh, and apart from that, of course, The Guardian. Those were great experiences, very um, fulfilling, mm. because I did the whole traveling and talking to people from different contexts and backgrounds, and sort of learning their stories, or trying to understand their stories, and trying to find ways to do justice to putting those stories out there.
0: Yeah, that must have been a fascinating time in your life, uh, getting to explore and learn, especially with it pre- was yeah, it, um, with the craft of journalism. I'm always amazed by it because it, it seems like such a no nonsense field, especially when writing is involved. Where sure you have deadlines, but also the structures within journalistic mm. writing seem to be very tight, very specific. And I always appreciated that. Could you tell me a, an experience that you may have had in, in that field that you felt like, wow, I feel like I learned something after this project or this assignment?
1: Oh, so many. I mean, I really miss that phase because I really think I learned more uh, being a journalist than, you know, from anything else in my life uh, professionally. And um I mean, there was just so many experiences um, because I used to write about social issues. And so there were times I, there are things that still haunt me and Mm -hmm. um, that I did write about journalistically, but because like you said, it's tight and you only have X number of words and so on. A lot of that actually found its way into my creative writing. It was sort of like whatever Mm -hmm. I couldn't say in the article would later find its way For example, there are poems in, um, there was an interview I did with, so there is a transgender community in South India who live on the periphery of society because uh, there is a lot of stigma Mm -hmm. and they live together as a community. And I had to interview one of them for work, for journalistic work. But then later that experience of just, you know, we had tea and she was very affectionate, and um, that experience of interacting with her kind of stayed with me so much that I wrote one of the poems in my second book is about her and about that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, or like I visited landfills in Mumbai, where you know it was horrifying to watch, but there were kids walking around on it. It's kind of like acres of garbage, and then. There were kids walking around on that, and there were families with babies that lived on the borders of that, in huts around it. and um so a recent poem that was published in Salamander is about uh, landfills and uh, you know, what we do with our trash and who kind of uh, suffers as a result. Hmm. So I think a lot of the stuff i experienced and explored at that time still uh, informs uh, my creative writing
0: yeah and i appreciate you sharing those stories with me because they do paint a picture right and i love that you you almost see a twofold right where you do have this assignment that is very necessary and it fulfills a a need but there is still so much story so much uh, meaning there to to extract and to share with people that you have to show humanity through poetry and i think that's such an admirable thing that you don't forget about these people after the assignment is done and you feel like it kind of sticks with you uh do you feel that way still like poetry is just kind of a, a way to release the valve a little bit more and get some of those feelings out there from experiences that you may have had a long time ago
1: yeah i think it is um, um... For example, I tend to, I, you, I, I think you're right about that in the sense that I tend to write poetry in retrospect. For, in, but what I mean by that is I rarely sit down and write about something that is happening today.
0: Mm.
1: It's not like I've never done it, but, and in fact, recently there was a series I did when COVID uh, was very bad in India and I was here and I was feeling a great deal of, you know, long distance grief. So there were some spontaneous poems at that point. But a lot of the time, um, it is in uh I tend to put some distance between something I've experienced and then write about that with that distance. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, um, it's a little bit like sometimes when I'm going through something um, bad, for example, I will even tell myself that you know, to console myself, I'm sure this is slightly bizarre, but I'll be like you know don't worry I'm sure in a year or so you'll get a poem out of this kind of
0: thing oh yeah that's that's a um, pretty familiar story for all of us I think where we have those and that kind of ties into what I was going to ask you in regards to those moments where you feel like you can't get any writing done or not necessarily writer's block but maybe something's going on in your life where you you feel like you just can't get to the desk or get to the computer to write something, anything. Have you ever had one of those low points in your creative life? And and maybe have you had something happen that jump-started that back?
1: I have not actually experienced that very often. Um, Mm -hmm. I have had phases where I've written things that I'm not happy with. And therefore, to that extent, um, in terms of results, there's nothing to show for those Uh, months or years because i've discarded whatever i wrote Uh or like i spent two years writing screenplays and that's just on my computer and that's it Mm -hmm. um but i think it's because i draft in that hyper-focused way what happens is i always have a queue of drafts to work on so um i don't actually have that urge to not go to the computer because um At any given point, there is something I can revise. Uh, And I, you know, I enjoy revising. So that has not been a problem as such. My (laughs) larger problem to balance that out is I have um, the typical ADHD problem uh, of the joke is 75% that I get to almost finishing something. And then I either stop because I doubt it or because... Mm. I am moving on. I'm too interested in something new I want to write. Mm. So that is the challenge for me, to tie myself down to one project and actually finish it.
0: Right. Have you recognized anything, any processes or systems that make that a little bit easier?
1: So like I said, the drafting has um, rarely been a problem because it tends to be organic, in the past, I used to struggle with, like I said, prioritizing between the draft. Mm-hmm. I try nowadays to um, set up one thing as what I call main project. And I now again, I don't know how much of this will work for non-ADHD people, but I can say that it's worked for me mm. as an ADHD uh, oh, Um So I don't set goals that are daily or weekly. I set it at a quarterly or yearly uh, level. Mm. And I might say this year I will work on whatever else I want to, but I will definitely finish this project. So at all given points, that project is the priority. And then as a reward, I can fool around and (laughs) do the other
0: project. Yeah. You know. No, Um, I I love that.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah so that's and usually the main project for me is obviously the phase that I don't like um, you know because that's the one I have to push myself towards which is usually (laughs) the later stages of of a book I don't really enjoy final edits proofing any of that Um, I absolutely detest having to exchange emails about (laughs) <laughs> cover design and so on. So, uh, those things I think I really have to push myself to uh, prioritize that and say, okay, I will give four hours to this in the morning or three hours or whatever time. You know, it's not usually three hours, it's more that you procrastinate and then it takes 20 minutes. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then the rest of the time I can work on drafting, which is really my exciting thing. Like I like drafting, so the drafting is a reward for actually doing the editing.
0: <laughs> That's a good payoff, I think. What are your thoughts on community and and doing uh communal work where you get to share some of your poetry with with other folks and and try to get feedback that way does Do you feel that environment serves you in and your work?
1: Yes, immensely. I think it is um i'm an extremely uh, i think community-minded poet or writer and um i think for a while there in fact one of the things uh, that was affecting me was uh, right after i moved here and then once uh, the screenwriting course ended i didn't have i hadn't managed to find that and then oddly enough twitter actually provided that for me well maybe mm-hmm. not oddly but um and i got on and i met a whole bunch of wonderful poets from around the world and they have been I mean invaluable they've really been integral to my practice and just that whole sharing and learning from people who live elsewhere or even sometimes in your own city but who you're possibly not meeting every day um I think it's incredibly important and I think um even apart from Twitter I I really wish that, you know, sometimes I wish that we would, because poets especially can be introvert and many of us are riddled with anxiety and other such, of, other such things. But I really think like that whole um, process and if we could have more avenues and platforms where we did that, it would be great.
0: Oh, yeah. And it amazes me how in the last year I've started to see Twitter in a completely different light the moment i started engaging seriously with the mm. communities that i've wanted to be a part of for a long time it feels like they, there there is just people who are willing to lift you up and champion you in a way and i think that's been such a surprise for me maybe it's just cuz i i try to be super optimistic but my default setting is a lot of jadedness <laughs> like having a chip <laughs> on my shoulder about something but Twitter has definitely changed my mind on that. And I really can't imagine, you know, my life without it now because it's led me to to getting to meet awesome poets like yourself and, you know, having these amazing experiences. Um, but I got a couple more questions okay. to respect your time here. But what's something that you're really looking forward to completing this coming year?
1: I mean, I'm looking forward to my book coming out. so I'm still doing final proofs and all of that um and after that i really do want to complete the sci-fi fantasy novel i've been working on um i'm hoping to finish that by the end of the year so that i can start querying it Mm
0: -hmm. i'm not going to ask you for spoilers but that sounds amazing Uh, (laughs) i think it's going to be great (laughs) thank you yeah i i would be curious to ask you about what it's about its plot but i don't want you to give anything away so maybe we can just... Oh, keep it it's,
1: as- you know, it's superheroes and mutants <laughs> and so on. You <laughs> know, I'm serious. It, I have this very, to count, you know, to, to counter the sort of uh, mental health and refugee and poetry kind of persona. I have mm-hmm. this other side of me that loves Batman movies and uh, the <laughs> X-Men. So so who's
0: your favorite superhero?
1: Uh, Magneto, probably. Yeah, but Batman. If if I'm being more mainstream, like if I'm <laughs> going outside the X Men.
0: Okay, okay. What does it about these superheroes? What about you? Um, Do you, you know, have one? Um, this is actually blasphemy in some circles, but I I didn't know how to speak English when I was younger, so I didn't read a lot of comic books. So <laughs> I sadly just watched you know the movies, and and I get to pick my favorite there. Um, I would say Spider Man has been has been kind of like climbing up the the charts for me and Captain America mm-hmm. for some reason. And I didn't think I would like Captain America, you know. I I would have preferred like Captain Mexico or something close to that, <laughs> but you know, I'm I I think he's a very honorable character. Uh so that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I think I kind of It's an
1: interesting choice. I'll say y- that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I,
1: I have to admit, I liked him. I like him more the more I see him. So maybe he kind of grows on one.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's definitely what happened with me too. So it's nice to aspire to something different, right? To pursue something that's kind of beyond what you think you're capable of doing. Are you Are you worried about it at all? Are you Are you concerned about taking on that kind of project?
1: I am concerned about finding a publisher. Mm. Because uh, I think people of color do find, uh, do have trouble finding publishers uh, to some extent. Mm. And uh, I mean, particularly, I think when you've migrated more recently, uh, your writing is uh, has very mixed influences. Mm-hmm. So my book is possibly sort of, um, you know, I am concerned that it would be too... Um, Let's say, for lack of a better way of putting it, Indian in its flavor huh. for a lot of American publishers. <laughs> yeah. uh, on the flip side, you know, I'm not. So far, I have published books in India mainly, and I'm not. Uh, I'm perfectly happy to uh, go with an Indian publisher and publish in India. So, so that's how I'm looking at that. Other than that, well, every book is a challenge, right? Anything you <laughs> start out, you're terrified.
0: Yeah, I guess if you're not <laughs> horrified about something coming up in your writing, then I guess you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'm
1: terrified until the last minute. And then once it's out, I'm still terrified, but I just try not to think about it.
0: <laughs> feel a little bit better. Yeah, you're almost on the other side of it. I want to ask you so much about publishing in because I, I imagine you're doing this in, in different languages too, and we haven't even talked about that, but... Uh, oh,
1: no, I only write in English. Yeah. I Yeah, I don't actually know any other language well enough to write in it.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: Because so this is not uh, something to be proud of. I'm not saying it as something I'm proud of. It's, um, it's sad, really, but many mm. of us who grew up uh, studying in English medium schools in India and in my case, because we, my family was not particularly rooted in certain ways. Mm. English sort of became a default language for for many things. Mm.
0: How do you how do you feel about that now, as you're further on in your writing projects? And and I ask because I, I kind of feel that too. And of course, again, I come from a different place of privilege where my parents definitely had a choice to be where they want it to be. But there, there's almost a similar sentiment where I was very comfortable in Spanish and I I was writing Mm -hmm. in Spanish and I loved it. But being in a, in a small white community, uh, you start losing certain things. And sometimes Mm -hmm. I do feel like this is on me for letting it happen. Um, Mm -hmm. do you ever feel any kind of, of concern or, remorse that that the culture is is fleeting based on language based on that that kind of separation mm. from language or is that a superficial thing is it, No I you understand
1: know, your uh, concerns and I I certainly appreciate what you're saying about yourself um and I can see how especially in America that would be something that would prey on one's mind probably mm. In my case, and in India, too, I think a lot of uh, writers who write in English have struggled with that. And so I can't speak for for anyone else. In my case, for some absurd reason, I have not actually had that regret. Um, Mm. I think because I, well, I love English as a language, and I was never very good at Bengali when I tried to hmm. learn it or speak uh, or to read it or whatever. And at some point, I think I accepted that it was not only about not living in West Bengal, but it was possibly also my own interest levels and so on, that yeah. I'm probably, a, you know, uh, I'm probably monogamous when it comes to language. <laughs> and English is just the one I chose.
0: <laughs> well, I think you're talking about this in a very beautiful way in that a lot of this, is often self-imposed a lot of the grief that one feels uh yes it's a it's a a fact that you know some languages we we either drift away from or we don't have the opportunity to learn it you know from different stages so i do feel like at least in my case that that kind of helps me so i very selfishly <laughs> just ask these questions <laughs> to to kind of heal in some way but i do think that that's a beautiful way to look at it because you embrace the tool that you have, which is this language.
1: Yeah, one can only do the best one can, right? With yeah, ones, yeah. with all one's limitations.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's going to teach me a thing or two about appreciating what I have. And, I, you know, I always have a choice at the end of the day, right? There's always Google, there's always, you know, these tools that can help me develop my language and, you know, continue onward. But you're right, I think once we embrace what we have, it becomes just this wonderful tool to fully express ourselves and why not do it in you know english or bengali or spanish or whatever language you choose as long as you're fully committed to it
1: right i think the one thing i tried to do was um stay very open and um try to uh read about or read in translation the literature from my native language, mm. so, to that extent, that um did two things. One is, I didn't feel completely bereft of the influences, and I sort of got into thinking about how much is different, but how much is also universal, and how one can sort of uh, negotiate those spaces between um this is how it's said in Bengali, but could I use a you know, could I use an English line? To, to express something similar and as an experiment how would that turn out yeah you know or if there is a phrase that's popular in Hindi and then I try to kind of translate it into English in my head um, how would that turn out so sometimes I've you know done that in poems and and I think the other thing it did was it reassured me that um, the literature and culture of my land is flourishing and well and <laughs> thriving. So, you know, it's not, um, let me say, it's not something I need to worry about to that extent.
0: <laughs> right, right. You are carving your own path and and doing your own thing, and there's enough room for all of these things to flourish. So, right. lastly, two questions for you, okay? Uh, very selfishly, once again, I have to ask you, what are some things outside of comic books or, or the things that we've already mentioned that are inspiring you right now some contemporary things that you're seeing or reading or listening to that are helping you along in your creative development some fun stuff
1: Mm. fun stuff not you don't want the poetry you you want me to talk about the other stuff (laughs) anything and everything
0: i'm i'm just opening it up a little bit
1: so the odd thing about my me is that i actually spend most of my time in terms of reading i read mostly poetry and nonfiction. I have read comic books and genre fiction, of course, but it doesn't take up um, the majority of my space in a day, which is mm-hmm. still poetry, even if I'm going to write fiction in terms of watching. I watch pretty much everything, but i've uh, I'm attracted to sci-fi movies uh, to horror
0: What's a good horror movie that came out recently?
1: The one that stayed with me is probably midsummer
0: oh yeah I w- yeah
1: <laughs> i was impressed with you know while watching it I, th- I i remember thinking i may not look at summer again in quite the same way ever again <laughs> because you know the whole uh i thought it was interesting how he managed to make flowers and meadows and all of that so creepy yeah. so um uh so that influenced me quite a bit and then um Like I said, last year I got into Chinese entertainment. So I watched a bunch of Chinese TV shows. So that was fun. (laughs) That was a lot of fun. Because it's a very different style and it's sprawling and operatic. And you know, it's and you have to have a lot of patience because it takes time to warm up and there are lots of characters and you have to like keep track of all of them. And but it's a fun kind of interesting experience.
0: Oh, that sounds just up my alley. So any recommendations, feel free to send them my way on Twitter. (laughs) I'll keep an eye out for those if you're, uh, yeah. But lastly, I want to ask you about your poetry and what it's done for you over the course of your life. What has poetry done for your quality of life?
1: You know, I think it's such a integral part of me that I can't I don't even know how to um, sort of look at it as something that 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 is a separate thing that and measure it in in those terms because for so long I have read and I'll say read mostly but of course also written uh, poetry as a way to understand or sift through or even sometimes uh, feel my own emotions and moods. I also think that one of the things with an ADHD brain is that you possibly respond really well to juxtaposition. And the thing that poetry does of a lot of poetry does of uh, going from one image to another very quickly and sort of collapsing entirely different worlds sometimes in the space of three lines is something that that is hugely beneficial to my brain I I don't know how else to put it like my brain needs that to feel um awake and stimulated a lot of the time so it's been um so I literally possibly would find it difficult to get through a day if I was not able to read poetry because it is one of those things that that my brain can understand better than it um understands reality reality being more linear and one thing takes a long time and then another thing happens that takes a long time etc does am i making any sense does that that
0: makes perfect sense and i i do appreciate that sentiment I feel like I, I got a good show, but I think we just scratched the surface because you're just such a complex person <laughs> that I, I feel like uh, we just scratched the surface with a lot of things. But I'm so thankful for your time. I always walk away feeling super inspired. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like selfishly, like this podcast is just lifting me out of like really difficult times sometimes. But um, I, I really do want to thank you for your time, though, and for your insights your perspective and all of this awesome work that you've done not just in journalism but your your wonderful poetry and i really look forward to getting to talk to you maybe sometime down the road so we can pick up where we left off because it's been a blast
1: thank you so much you've been so wonderful and i really enjoyed your questions
0: all right awesome well i hope you have a great evening i guess i'm not sure what time it is over there but i hope you have a great evening and uh hope to talk to you soon
1: yeah thank you so much have a great evening you You too. too bye okay bye